Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris today. This is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 22nd. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's turn to the front page of the Courier. We have two articles to read. The first is, Iowa House Votes to Back Israel. Resolution affirms allies' right to act in self-defense. Protesters call for ceasefire. The story was written by Caleb McCullough, and the dateline is Des Moines. The column begins with a photograph with the caption, Pro-Palestine supporters rally in the rotunda of the Iowa Capitol in Des Moines, the supporters holding Palestinian flags and placards. The Iowa House of Representatives passed a resolution Thursday declaring its support for Israel and its continued campaign in Gaza against Hamas, drawing protest from activists calling for a ceasefire in the ongoing war. The resolution passed by a voice vote in the House without a record of how each lawmaker voted. Republicans and many Democrats appeared to support the resolution, while a few no votes rang out from the House Democrats. People who rallied against the vote on Thursday also shouted from the gallery after its passage before being removed by Iowa State Patrol officers. The pro-Palestinian activists said lawmakers should have called for a ceasefire rather than pass the resolution signaling unconditioned support for Israel. The resolution says it is, quote, affirming the state of Iowa's support for the state of Israel and condemning the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7, 2023, unquote. In the resolution, lawmakers said they recognized Israel's right to act decisively and unilaterally in self-defense and to oppose any calls for a ceasefire. They further affirm Israel's right to, quote, pursue without interference or condemnation the elimination of Hamas and any other affiliated terrorist groups until Hamas and all such groups are permanently neutralized, unquote. House Speaker Pat Grassley, a Republican from New Hartford, told reporters on Thursday that the resolution was a continuation of the state of Iowa's long-running support for Israel as an ally of the U.S. He said the resolution had significant bipartisan support. Quote, when it comes to any terrorist organization, we're going to stand with our ally, what we have in Israel. So I don't think that today the action that we took was any different than we historically would have taken in my time in the legislature, Grassley said. Quote, no one wants to see any level of death and destruction that's going on overseas, but an unprovoked attack that we saw happen a couple of months ago, also as an ally of that country, that's not something that we can just ignore, he added. Representative Sammy Sheets, a Democrat from Cedar Rapids and the only Arab American in the Iowa House, said during a press conference on Thursday that the majority Republicans did not ask for input from him or other Democrats on the language of the resolution. Sheets, who voted against the resolution, said he condemns, quote, all violence against the Israeli and Palestinian people, as well as anti-Semitism and anti-Arab rhetoric. 
but that continuing violence in the region would not resolve the conflict. Quote, this is not justice that will lead to a lasting peace. This is chaos and destruction, he said. It has been clear that there is no military solution that will bring stability to Gaza. That's why I voted no on the Republican resolution this morning and continue to call for a ceasefire, unquote. More than 20,000 Palestinians have been killed since Israel launched its campaign against Hamas after the October 7th attacks in the country. Around 1,200 Israelis, mostly civilians, were killed in that attack. House Democratic leader Jennifer Confirst of Windsor Heights did not say how she voted on the resolution. Quote, My members have every ability to have a conversation on their own outside of this room of what needs to happen, she told reporters on Wednesday. Quote, But what I'll tell you is the Israel-Hamas situation will not be resolved through the Iowa legislature, and it's not really under our purview, unquote. Resolution opposed. About two dozen people gathered in the Capitol Rotunda Thursday morning, ahead of the vote, to call for a ceasefire in Gaza, leading chants and impromptu speeches condemning Israel's actions and Iowa legislators. Danny Misuk, a member of Iowa City Action for Palestine, came to the Capitol on Monday to show opposition to the resolution and support for Iowa's Palestinian population. Mizuk, who is Jewish, said the conflict and the reactions to it were deeply personal. Quote, My religion and culture is being used to justify genocide, and I'm here to say that it is not okay with me personally, Mizuk said. We have Palestinian people here in Iowa, and they have family there, and they're affected here too. And we have to stand up for them and with them, unquote. Block student aid. Two Republican lawmakers proposed a bill on Thursday that would block students from receiving financial aid and cancel student groups' registrations if they endorse or promote terrorism or any group designated as a foreign terrorist organization by the U.S. government. The bill would give the Iowa Attorney General authority to determine whether a statement or action constitutes support for terrorism. Republican Representative Taylor Collins of Minneapolis, one of the bill's sponsors, said it was inspired by people supporting Hamas after the October 7th attacks. Representative Austin Harris, a Republican from Moulton, was the other sponsor of the bill. Collins said a statement that features the slogan, quote, from the river to the sea, unquote, could be considered support for terrorism under the bill. The University of Iowa Democrats received backlash from the state party last year for posting a statement with the slogan, which some anti-hate groups consider to be anti-Semitic. Quote, I have a lot of confidence in the Attorney General's office in discerning free speech from actual support of terrorism and it should be a conversation as the bill moves through the process, he said. Altered bill will allow more AEA services. Change follows feedback from parents and educators. Tom Barton from the Courier's Des Moines Bureau wrote the story. Dateline Des Moines. One week after proposing a major overhaul 
of Iowa's area education agencies that assist students with disabilities. Governor Kim Reynolds has proposed loosening a main restriction in her bill that's caused heartburn for some lawmakers, parents, and teachers. Iowa's nine area education agencies would continue providing general education and media services if requested by school districts and approved by the Iowa Department of Education under the proposed change. Quote, AEAs play an important role in our state, and that will continue, but their role should be entirely focused on students, not maintaining a system. Reynolds posted on social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter. Reynolds, in her condition of the state address last week, outlined a proposal to reform Iowa's area education agencies that provide expertise to educators and families. Under her proposal, AEAs would be prohibited from offering services beyond special education for students, and school districts could drop their current agency and look elsewhere for the services instead. Under her proposed bill, filed January 10th, as House Study Bill 542 and Senate Study Bill 3073, school districts would be given the option to keep funding they'd otherwise funnel to their AEA and allocate it for special education services as they choose, at an AEA or at a private company. AEAs would focus solely on students with disabilities, her proposal said, and independent oversight would move to the State Department of Education, not the district-appointed boards overseeing the nine AEAs now. AEAs would no longer provide other education services, media services, and professional development. Her bill, as currently written, would eliminate property taxes that are collected to support AEA functions that are not related to special education. The governor's staff has projected that would be an impact of $68 million in fiscal 2025. The state would launch a media services grant program through the Department of Education to support schools and would shift $2.9 million in professional development funding and $3.38 million in mental health funding to the Department of Education to support local school districts. The Republican governor said the changes are needed because the state's nine area education agencies have grown beyond their core mission of serving students with disabilities, and some have become bloated and ineffective since they were created in the 1970s, but still leave districts without choice but to pay for them anyway. But after meeting with parents, teachers, and lawmakers, Reynolds on Thursday proposed an amended version that would allow the AEAs to continue providing general education services and media services. The agencies would continue to provide all special education services they do now, including child find and early access for children from birth to three years of age. Quote, student success is my central focus, and the goal of my bill is to ensure Iowa students with disabilities receive the world-class education they deserve, Reynolds said in a statement. Quote, schools and parents know their students best, and this bill ensures that they are in the driver's seat 
in deciding how best to support their students. This model will give schools control over their money and create more transparency in the system, while also ensuring AEAs can provide the education support some schools rely on, unquote. Parents, teachers, and AEA staff warned changing the structure of the agency so quickly would upend services provided to districts and lead to disastrous outcomes. They note under the governor's proposal as written, AEAs would no longer be able to provide experts to schools as they make curriculum decisions, support in implementing new curriculum, mental health support, services for students learning English as a second language, and technology and cybersecurity services, among other support. Quote, We appreciate the willingness of the governor and legislators to listen to stakeholders served by the AEAs, as well as our staff on this important piece of legislation, says a statement issued Thursday by Central Rivers Area Education Agency. Central Rivers serves 63,500 students and 5,000 educators in 71 districts, 53 public and 18 non-public, in 18 counties, including Black Hawk County. Quote, We are humbled by the outpouring of support and recognize that at the heart of the matter are critically important services that students, families, and educators rely on every day. Quote, While today's news signals that policymakers are listening, we have a responsibility to those we serve to press forward in advocating for a statewide support structure that retains the services that children, educators, and families deserve. The statement continues, quote, We aren't there yet. We maintain that the current framework by which we deliver services is still the most economical and effective for Iowa, ensuring economy of scale and local control, unquote. Democrats want details. House and Senate Democrats maintained their opposition to the plan Thursday and cast doubt on Reynolds' changes until they can see the actual text of the proposed amendment, which was still being drafted. House Minority Leader Jennifer Conforst, a Democrat from Windsor Heights, accused Reynolds of having, quote, gotten caught out with a little over her skis and is perhaps seeing what happens when you don't involve anyone in the conversation before you draft a major piece of legislation, unquote. Conforst also slammed the governor for not including Democrats in her conversations. Quote, That's not how you govern, Conforst told reporters Thursday. Quote, You work with parties involved. You listen to stakeholders, and you continue the process, unquote. Conforst added, quote, A scalpel approach would have been nice, and this is a sledgehammer. This completely dismantles the system. It takes a very broad swipe at the AEAs without a lot of considerations for the services that are provided, unquote. And Iowans are making that clear to the governor and lawmakers, she said. Senate Minority Leader Pam Jokum, a Democrat from Dubuque, whose late daughter received special education services through the AEAs, said the proposal could disproportionately affect rural areas and lead to higher costs for districts to provide those services themselves. Mom, grateful for AEA. Conforst and Jokum 
were joined by Kate Fairfax, a speech-language pathologist and a mother of twins in kindergarten who receive AEA services in the Des Moines area. Her daughters were born 10 weeks premature and spent a lot of time in the neonatal intensive care unit. The AEA came to their home and worked with the family to make sure the twins were developing appropriately. One daughter developed brain bleeds, has cerebral palsy, and is also deaf. Quote, and we are just so, so grateful for the AEA and everything they've done for us with Audrey at school, she said. Through the AEA, her daughter has access to physical and occupational therapists, speech pathology, a teacher of the deaf, and an audiologist. Quote, it was so hard sending her to school, but knowing that the AEA was there supporting her and that we got to work with them as a team with the school district to really train all of her teachers and paraeducators to make sure they knew how to communicate with Audrey best and how to help her succeed in class has been invaluable, she said. AEA staff work with her daughter's teachers and school staff on how to safely transfer her daughter between all of her different equipment. She said her daughter uses two wheelchairs, a walker, or a gait trainer. About accountability, House Speaker Pat Grassley, Republican from New Hartford, said House and Senate Republicans have been working with the governor to address concerns they're hearing from Iowans. And, quote, this is the way the process is supposed to work, he said. Quote, we're trying to find a solution in which we can still achieve better results for our special education students and give more accountability for our school districts when it comes to that money, Grassley said speaking with reporters on Thursday. Quote, every school district is going to be different in their needs, he said. This has not been about eliminating special ed services. This is about accountability, unquote. And I think the path we're going down now does an even better job of that and giving more control to school districts to still be able to access those services, especially in those rural districts, Grassley said. <laughs> Heating fires damaged two Cedar Falls houses. These stories are written by Jeff Reinitz, Dateline Cedar Falls. Crews with Cedar Falls Fire Rescue are urging residents to use caution following two weather-related house fires on Wednesday night. Cedar Falls firefighters were sent to 1221 Catherine Street for a reported basement fire at around 7.15 p.m. When authorities arrived, all of the residents had evacuated. Firefighters extinguished the blaze and stopped the spread of the fire. The basement suffered fire and water damage, while other parts of the house had minor smoke damage, officials said. Officials said the fire appears to have started with the home's furnace system. No injuries were reported. It was the second fire for Cedar Falls crews on Wednesday night. Shortly after 5 p.m., residents at 1107 Orchard Drive reported they were attempting to extinguish a fire on the outside of the house with a fire extinguisher. The fire was out upon arrival. Firefighters ensured that there was no extension of the fire into the walls and structure of the home. The investigation into the cause of the fire revealed that a resident had previously been using a hand torch to melt ice on the exterior of the home 
in the area of the fire. Residents are urged to practice winter fire safety, especially during times of extreme cold, when furnaces, fireplaces, and heating devices are getting maximum use. Fire officials offered the following tips. Keep everything that can burn at least three feet away from any heat source like fireplaces, wood stoves, radiators, or space heaters. Test smoke alarms at least once a month. Only one appliance like a space heater per electrical outlet at a time. And have a qualified professional clean and inspect your chimney and vents every year. Waterloo man found guilty of sexually abusing girl, 7. Dateline Waterloo. Sentencing has been set for February for a Waterloo man convicted of sexually abusing a girl a relative was babysitting. James Kirkula Horace, 43, waived his right to a jury, and in December, District Court Judge Melissa Anderson Sieber found him guilty of second-degree sexual abuse following a bench trial. Authorities allege Horace touched the seven-year-old girl's groin area in 2022. The mother noticed the girl was suddenly hesitant to go to the babysitter's home, and the girl later told a sibling about the abuse. The mother confronted Horace about the allegation, and Horace denied the allegations, but told the mother, quote, I'm sorry, unquote. The girl was interviewed at the Child Protection Center, and police investigators interviewed Horace. Horace again denied the abuse, but also said he drank a lot and didn't remember things. If it happened, he told police, it was a mistake. Horace also said he rubbed the girl's stomach and that he would go along with the findings of an Iowa Department of Human Services investigation. At trial in October, the defense highlighted the fact the girl's account changed, especially as to how many times the abuse occurred. In her written ruling issued in December, Judge Anderson Sieber said she found the victim's account credible and was backed by other testimony and evidence. Man found guilty of shotgun charge. Dateline Waterloo. A Waterloo man has been found guilty of charges stemming from a sawed-off shotgun found at his place in 2022. Jurors in the U.S. District Court in Cedar Rapids deliberated for about an hour on Wednesday before finding Larry Jones, 62, guilty of felon in possession of a firearm and possession of an unregistered shortened shotgun. Sentencing will be at a later date. Jones faces up to 25 years in prison. Police were called to Jones's Anthony Street home on September 7, 2022, for an argument over car repairs, according to court records. Witnesses said during the argument, Jones brandished a short-barreled shotgun, and someone had recorded the incident on video. Officers found an Ithaca Model 66 shotgun outside near a neighbor's doghouse. The weapon had a barrel just 14 inches, record state. Authorities said Jones has two prior felony convictions, including a willful injury charge in 1992. Driver can't withdraw plea for killing bicyclist in 2019. Dateline Waterloo. A Waterloo man won't be able to take back his plea for hitting and killing a bicyclist in 2019. L.A. Jefferson Jr., 46, 
entered an Alford plea, not admitting guilt, but opting to take advantage of a plea offer to charges of homicide by vehicle, leaving the scene of an accident and operating while intoxicated in August as court officials were picking a jury for his trial. The deal with prosecutors was for a sentence of up to 14 years in prison instead of facing a charge that carries up to 25 years behind bars. A short time later, Jefferson, who had been acting as his own attorney, moved to take back the plea, arguing he decided to plea because he was under duress and didn't have enough time to prepare for trial. The matter was ultimately passed to another judge. In a ruling filed Monday, Judge Andrea Dreyer turned down Jefferson's motion to withdraw his plea, noting he had been represented by a number of attorneys while the case was pending and had years to prepare a defense when he was out on bond. Quote, defendant made a knowing, voluntary, and intelligent choice between the options that he knew were available to him, Dreyer wrote in her ruling. Defendant freely, knowingly, and voluntarily chose not to exercise that right and chose to accept the plea agreement instead, unquote. Dreyer also found there was sufficient evidence to back the plea. Authorities said Jefferson was driving a passenger car that hit Delisle Siljek, 22, in the area of West 3rd Street and Western Avenue on July 23, 2019. He then left the area. Sentencing in the case is scheduled for February. Waterloo man charged with selling stolen shoes. Dateline Waterloo. A Waterloo man has been arrested for allegedly trying to sell stolen high-end shoes on the Internet. Police arrested Edward Ray Whitney, 45, formerly of Iowa Falls, on Thursday on one count of second-degree theft. Bond was set at $10,000. According to police, a Waterloo resident reported a burglary to his home on West 3rd Street in August. Among the stolen items were several pairs of collectible shoes. Then on Wednesday, the victim noticed some of the shoes listed for sale on Facebook Marketplace and told police. He also set up a meeting with the seller, and officers tagged along for the transaction. The seller, Whitney, showed up with ten pairs of shoes, four pairs of which matched empty shoe boxes the victim had, according to court records. Authorities said the shoes had a combined value of more than $2,000. Whitney told police he had paid $750 for the shoes through eBay, record state. Whitney has prior convictions for weapons charges, attempted murder, and robbery. No serious injuries in crash as roads remain icy. Story filed by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline, Waterloo. No serious injuries were reported when a sport utility vehicle left the roadway and rolled on Friday morning. Here we have a photograph of the aftermath of the accident, and we see a Saturn view laying on its side off of Highway 218 and Interstate 30 interchange in Waterloo. Details weren't immediately available, but the Saturn view was on U.S. Highway 218, Interstate Highway 380 interchange when it slid off the road and rolled down a hill, coming to a rest on its side. 
The crash came as much of the roads in eastern Iowa and southern Iowa were partially covered in snow and ice, according to the Iowa Department of Transportation data. Archivist to present on UNI's history, Dateline Waterloo. Archivist Tessa Wakefield will give a presentation on the University of Northern Iowa's history at the Cedar Valley Historical Society meeting on Tuesday. A UNI processing and reference archivist, Wakefield will give an overview of the institution's history from its time as a Civil War orphan's home in 1869 to the present day. She'll touch on each president and key moments during their tenures, as well as other select topics and collections. The meeting begins at 7 p.m. at the Grout Museum, 503 South Street. Guests are asked to use the upper floor entrance next to the parking lot off South Street. All programs are open to the public. Fee for non-members is $3 for adults and $2 for children. Refreshments will be served after the meeting. Anyone interested in becoming a member or learning more about upcoming programs should contact Greg Bravender at area code 319-296-3019. And now, listeners, at this time, we just take a moment to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 22nd on IRIS. I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, this message. It only took Jeff one interview to land his job, one smile to get his wife to go out with him, and one time to risk it all by trying meth. Meth. Never, ever. Visit YourLifeIowa.org, brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Now, we have this bit of breaking news. Election 2024. DeSantis drops out of presidential race and endorses Trump. Ron DeSantis's distant loss to Donald Trump in Iowa dealt a devastating blow to his campaign. His exit caps a spectacular political failure and leaves Mr. Trump and Nikki Haley locked in a two-person contest. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida suspended his campaign for president on Sunday and endorsed the front-runner, former President Donald J. Trump, with the primary race in New Hampshire in its final 48 hours. The move cements the Republican contest as a two-person race between Mr. Trump and former Governor Nikki Haley of South Carolina. A little less than a week after Mr. DeSantis's devastating 30-point loss to Mr. Donald Trump in Iowa. Quote, We just heard that Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. Ms. Haley, who finished even lower in Iowa, but is better positioned than Mr. DeSantis, was in New Hampshire and South Carolina, and she said that upon arriving in Seabrook, New Hampshire, for a campaign event. She added, with a smile, It's now one fella and one lady, unquote. The Trump campaign, which has made bashing Mr. DeSantis a blood sport for much of the last year said in a statement that it was honored by his endorsement and once again criticized Ms. Haley as being too liberal to win the Republican nomination. Though Ms. Haley now has the two-person race she sought, it remains to be seen whether Mr. DeSantis's departure will help her or whether more of his supporters 
will migrate to Mr. Trump. Within minutes of Mr. DeSantis's announcement, one of his top surrogates, Representative Bob Good of Virginia, had posted on X, quote, It is my privilege to provide my complete and total endorsement for Donald J. Trump, unquote. Even before Mr. DeSantis dropped out, Ms. Haley and Mr. Trump were locked in an increasingly intense and personal battle in New Hampshire, where Mr. Trump has a significant lead in polls, but Ms. Haley hopes to ca- capitalize on the support of independent voters on Tuesday. Ms. Haley is crisscrossing the southern part of the state on Sunday, while Mr. Trump will hold an evening rally in Rochester, New Hampshire. Now let's turn to the opinion section. This piece appeared in the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier and was written by Fred Abraham. If there are any Republicans or Democrats out there thinking Donald Trump will not be the Republican Party's candidate for president next fall, the Iowa caucus results should have severely diminished their hopes. Trump received more than 50% of the votes from Republicans who ventured out on a sub-zero night to support their guy. Regardless of what the other candidates spent or did, his grip on at least half of the party seems unshakable in the next three states on the primary trail starting next week. In New Hampshire, he has 50% of Republicans in his pocket as well. In South Carolina, 54%. Well, in Nevada, more than 70%. The handwriting on the wall is clear. There will be a rematch of the 2020 race between Trump and Joe Biden for president. Given that, Democrats in Iowa need to face several facts. First, the rematch is clear, and they should be touting Biden's accomplishments and not giving just tepid support. Second, Biden is only a few years older than Trump and 10 years younger than Iowa's favorite great-grandfather, Chuck Grassley. But more importantly, the reality is Trump will carry Iowa in 2024. This last sobering point, while depressing, should be a road sign for Democrats. They should direct their efforts and resources away from Biden in Iowa and instead work on changing the Iowa legislature. Why? because it's time to get Republicans out of Des Moines. Look at the legislation passed by the Republican legislature and approved by the Republican governor. Mean-spirited laws aimed at the LGBTQ plus community, additional relaxation of gun laws leading to increased access to firearms by questionable people, additional cuts to K-12 and higher education, increased government support to private and religious schools, relaxation of child labor laws, book banning, and shortening early and election day voting. This is a record decent Iowans should abhor. How can we be proud of what our legislature has accomplished? Look at it through the lens of how you and your family members could be treated if you were not white, male, and straight. Iowans, do you talk to friends or relatives in other states? Do they support what we are doing? I hope they don't. The best thing Iowa's caring Democrats can do now is to start finding qualified, decent candidates and get them running for our state legislature. More Democrats in the House and Senate could make a difference, especially if they become the majority. I have lived in Iowa for a long time, and I am convinced what our legislature and governor 
are doing is not reflective of the thinking of Iowans. Iowans are decent, caring people, but perhaps swayed by party designation and temporarily fooled by party slogans. Don't misunderstand me. Democrats should all still vote for Biden against an anti-Constitution, anti-Republic, self-serving Trump. But they will lose. Iowa's electoral votes will go to Trump. We live in a red state. But remember, there are more names on the ballot than Trump. We should all look down the ballot and select people who will uphold true Iowa values in Iowa and make Iowa great again. The author of this piece, Fred Abraham, is Professor Emeritus at the University of Northern Iowa. The opinions expressed in this article are those of the author and do not reflect those of the university. Now we turn to the obituaries. Danny Alvin Youngblood, 71, died on Monday, January 15, 2024, at Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center. Danny was born on January 11, 1953, in Waterloo, Iowa, the son of Claude and Mardella Cron Youngblood. He graduated from Cedar Falls High School in 1971. He was employed as an inspector for the city of Waterloo for 26 years before his retirement in 2019. Danny was a hardworking man and a musician his whole life, always surrounded by music, friends, and family. He loved his family more than anything. Danny also loved animals, being on the water, going fishing, and constantly staying busy. He sang, played lead guitar, bass guitar, drums, and just about any instrument he picked up. He had multiple bands throughout his life, including Summer Breeze and Youngblood Band. They performed shows throughout Iowa, including playing at the annual Sturgis Falls Celebration in Cedar Falls. Danny was loved by many and became friends with everyone he met. His sense of humor was unmatched, and he could always make you laugh, no matter the time or place. His heart was bigger than people even knew. He would give the shirt off his back to a stranger and was always there if you needed a helping hand. A jam session slash celebration of life will take place on Saturday, January 27th from 4 o'clock p.m. at midnight at Majestic Moon, 1955 Lock Avenue, number 2614, Waterloo, Iowa, 50702. Please bring your instruments a memory or story of Danny, and come jam with us to celebrate his life and honor him the way he would have loved most. Cards with a memory or story of Danny can be brought to the jam session at Majestic Moon or be sent to the Youngblood family at 1324 Talcott Court, Waterloo, Iowa, 50702. In lieu of flowers, additional memorials may be directed to the family. A GoFundMe page is being created. Online condolences, memories, and stories may be shared at www.richardsonfuneralservice.com. Edwin A. Baldwin, 87, passed away Thursday, January 11th at LaPorte City Specialty Care, 
following a short illness. Services for Edwin will be at 11 o'clock a.m. Saturday, January 27th at Geneseo Methodist Church, Buckingham, with Pastor Jim Turner as officiant. Burial will be at Westview Cemetery in LaPorte City. Friends may visit with the family on Saturday at the church from 9 o'clock a.m. until the time of the service. Van Steenhus Tien Funeral Home in Vinton is caring for Edwin and his family. Edwin, son of David Olin and Celia Hall Baldwin, was born on February 10, 1936, on a farm near Marion. He attended grade school in Missouri and graduated from Dysart High School in 1953. On June 10, 1956, Edwin was united in marriage to Beverly Jones at Pratt Creek Church in rural Benton County. Together, they shared a lifetime of farming. After retiring from farming, Edwin worked several years for Performance Carbide in Waterloo. In childhood, Edwin attended Assembly of God Church and was currently a member of the Geneseo United Methodist Church. He enjoyed gatherings for card clubs with his friends and couples club group at church, feeding and watching birds, especially cardinals, and watching TV and movie videos. After retirement from farming, Edwin continued to repair farm equipment and drive a truck to the elevator during harvest. A memorial fund has been established. Online condolences for the family may be left at www.tihinfuneralhome.com. Larry J. Spencer, 84, of Buckingham, Iowa, passed away on Monday, January 15th, at Unity Point Health Allen Hospital in Waterloo. He was born February 10th, 1939, in Garrison, Iowa, son of Joseph Marshall and Hazel Davis Spencer. He graduated from Wadena High School in 1957. Larry J. Spencer and Carol K. Gibson were married on January 17, 1959, and celebrated 62 years together. Carol passed on January 1, 2022. To this union, they were blessed with five children. He worked as a welder at John Deere Manufacturing until his retirement in 1995. Larry loved to tinker and fix things in his garage. He also enjoyed spending time in his garden. His hands were always busy. As per Larry's wishes, there will be no services or visitation. Memorials may be directed to Unity Point Hospice, Lock at Tower Park, at phone number 319-233-3146, and their address is 4140 Kimball Avenue, Waterloo and they are assisting the family. Duan Dean Waddell, 52, of Waterloo, passed away Tuesday, January 16th, at his home. He was born June 1st, 1971, in Waterloo. He was the son of Duan L. and Linda E.D. Waddell. He was a 1989 Waterloo West High School graduate and was also proud to be an Eagle Scout. Duan worked as a parts salesman for advanced auto. Memorials may be directed to the family or to the Shriners Hospital for Children in Minnesota. A family-directed celebration of life will be planned at a later date. Lock at Tower Park, 4140 Kimball Avenue, Waterloo, Iowa, 
assisted the family with arrangements. Their phone number, 319-233-3146. And condolences may be left at www.lockfuneralservices.com. William, known as Bill Francis Zuck, 75, of Waterloo, Iowa, passed away peacefully on January 17, 2024, while in the comfort of his own home under hospice care. William Francis Zuck was born on May 25, 1948, in Waterloo, Iowa, to his parents Merle Zuck Sr. and Clementine Ryder Zuck. He married Martha Dummer on October 19, 1968, at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Bill worked for John Deere from July of 1972 until his retirement in October of 2007. Bill was a great father who enjoyed being a part of the Boy Scouts when his sons were involved, as well as attending any of his kids' or grandkids' sporting events. Bill loved all sports, but he was an avid Kansas City Chiefs and NASCAR fan. He also enjoyed spending the summers and making memories with his family at their cabin in LaPorte City. Bill was a great man and will be truly missed by all of those who knew him. A public visitation for Bill will be held from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday, January 23rd at Haggerty Wychoff Grauwup Funeral Service, South Street, located at 400 South Street in Waterloo. There will be a 7 o'clock p.m. vigil service. Funeral Mass will be held at 11 o'clock a.m. on Wednesday, January 24th, at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, with a one-hour visitation prior to services. Memorial contributions may be directed in Bill's name to his family. Leave an online condolence. Please visit www.haggertywychoffgrarup.com. Haggerty Wychoff Grarup Funeral Service, South Street, is caring for Bill and his family. Robert Bob Lee Minicus passed away on Tuesday, January 16, 2024, at Unity Point Health Allen Hospital. He was born February 19, 1947, in Cedar Falls, the son of Harvey and Annette Christensen Minicus. Bob married Kathleen Johns, on July 27, 1968, in Ackley. He worked in the streets department for the city of Cedar Falls for 32 years. Bob's funeral will be at 12.30 p.m. on Monday, January 22nd, at Dahl Van Hoof Schoof Funeral Home of Cedar Falls, with visitation from 10.30 a.m. until service time, burial at Cedar Valley Memorial Gardens. Memorials may be directed to the family for future designation. Lillian Ruth Bonney, 96, of Cedar Falls, died on Tuesday, January 16th, at Friendship Village in Waterloo. She was born on February 8, 1927, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, the daughter of Fritz Frederick and Vivian Ruth Webster Wilfang. She graduated from both high school and business school before becoming a homemaker to her family. Memorial services will be at 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, January 23rd, at Richardson Funeral Service in Cedar Falls, with a visitation 30 minutes beforehand, inurnment at Fairview Cemetery in Cedar Falls, with fellowship following 
at 1508 Walnut Street, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. Online condolences are at www.richardsonfuneralservice.com. Roger Allen Jacoby, surrounded by his loving family, Roger Jacoby of Cedar Falls, passed to his heavenly home Wednesday, January 17, 2024. Born in Omaha, Nebraska, he spent his early years in Waverly, Iowa, before moving to Waterloo, Iowa. He graduated from Columbus High School in 1967. Fall of 1967 found him at UNI standing outside of theater class seeking to meet a young lady. As Linda McVitie entered the classroom, he sat down beside her. Being very shy, she moved. Roger, being very persistent, has been married to her for 52 years. Roger worked full-time as a mechanic to put himself through college and attended class full-time. He graduated in 1971 with a business B.A. He was employed for 38 years by Viking Pump Company, four years in Iowa, 17 years in Maryland, returning to Iowa in 1992. Several Viking jobs ensued, director of advertising, director of marketing, and finally, director of overseas sales. That position led to traveling to 42 countries. Upon retirement, he continued for eight years as a consultant part-time. He impacted business development and had many colleagues and friends worldwide. Roger was an active member of St. Stephen the Witness and a member of the Knights of Columbus. Roger also volunteered at Cedar Valley Preschool and Child Care Center. He instilled many important values in their children, compassion, a strong work ethic, commitment, loyalty, and reverence. The family enjoyed many vacations, family activities, and celebrations together. Roger's interests included travel, photography, cooking, cars, movies, gardening, and spending time with family and friends. A memorial prayer service was held. A celebration of life is being planned for April to be announced later. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to St. Stephen the Witness Catholic Student Center or the Cedar Valley Preschool and Child Care Center at 724 Lance Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. Or any Viridian Credit Union, visit any branch and mention that you would like to donate to the Cedar Valley Preschool and Child Care Center. Dahl Van Hoof Schoof Funeral Home is assisting the family. Now, here we have the Metro Briefs column. Waterloo Schools set meetings on plans for potential new high school. These were written by the Courier staff. Dateline, Waterloo. The Waterloo Community School District is hosting four town hall meetings to share information about its potential high school project. In December, the Board of Education voted to move forward with an in-depth exploration of the district's options concerning the educational and facility needs of high school students within the district. Currently, a high school task force is working with Envision Architecture of Waterloo to research the feasibility of transitioning East and West High Schools to a single building that would be housed on the same campus as the Waterloo Career Center. 
This study also includes the potential to relocate Expo Alternative Learning Center to the same campus. If the project progresses, high school students would no longer be required to travel to participate in more than 20 career center programs. In addition, the high school would be the first in Iowa to offer an on-campus career center that is accessible to every high school student in the district. The public is invited to learn more about the project by attending upcoming town hall meetings. They will be held on the following dates. Saturday, from 9 to 10 a.m. at Kittrell Elementary, 1304 Oregon Street. On Thursday, between 5 and 6 p.m. at the Waterloo Career Center at 1348 Katowski Drive. On January 27th, between 9 and 10 a.m., Poyner Elementary at 1138 Central Avenue, Evansdale. And lastly, February 1st, between 5 and 6 p.m., Dr. Walter Cunningham School for Excellence at 1224 Mobile Street. Board of Education members will be in attendance at the meetings. While there will be no official school board action taken at these meetings, there may be a quorum of board members present. UNI Art Gallery sets exhibition opening, Cedar Falls. The University of Northern Iowa Gallery of Art and Permanent Collection will host an opening reception at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday for UNI Department of Art faculty plus one. The exhibition presents the works of the current UNI faculty who teach and work as professional artists. Additionally, each UNI faculty artist has invited a UNI Department of Art alum to showcase their work alongside them. Among the works on display are various representations of prints, paintings, photographs, designs, animations, and sculptures. All events are free and open to the public. Gallery hours are 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday, and by appointment. The gallery is located on the main floor of the Camerick Art Building South on the UNI campus in Cedar Falls. For more information, email laura.glesner, that's spelled G-L-E-I-S-S-N-E-R, at uni.edu, or visit gallery.uni.edu. Archivist to present on UNI's history. Dateline Waterloo. Archivist Tessa Wakefield will give a presentation on the University of Northern Iowa's history at the Cedar Valley Historical Society meeting on Tuesday. A UNI processing and reference archivist, Wakefield will give an overview of the institution's history from its time as a Civil War orphan's home in 1869 to the present date. She'll touch on each president and key moments during their tenures, as well as other topics and collections. The meeting begins at 7 p.m. at the Grout Museum, 503 South Street. Guests are asked to use the upper floor entrance next to the parking lot off South Street. All programs are open to the public. Fee for non-members is $3 for adults and $2 for children. Refreshments will be served after the meeting. Anyone interested in becoming a member or learning more about upcoming programs should contact Greg Bravender 
at 319-296-3019. Legion Post to hold steak fry on January 27th. Gilbertville. American Legion Post 714 will host a steak fry from 5 to 7 p.m. on January 27th. Available will be ribeye for $20, sirloin for $15, and chicken breast for $12 with a side of baked potato, vegetable, salad, and roll. The salad bar is available for $10. The address is 110 6th Street in Gilbertville. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 22nd. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can listen to a recording of this reading of The Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just visit our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <laughs>